Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. So there is a lot of presidential politics happening right now, with a primary over the weekend in South Carolina and a primary tomorrow in Michigan. Lucky for us, someone who knows a ton about politics and never seems to hold back, James Carville, is standing by to talk with us about all of it. There's also quite a bit of legal news we're following. Today, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg asked the judge in that criminal case to impose a gag order on Trump. Former U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, who's been on our show many times before, Preet Bharara, is going to join me to discuss what that means and what comes next there. But I do want to start tonight with a bit of a, what I'm going to call a reality check, about the very likely general election matchup between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Both candidates face challenges right now, but they are in no way the same. On the one hand, President Biden is dealing with poll numbers that don't seem to budge on the economy, which I'm sure is driving them crazy. Some cocktail speculation about whether it is too late to select a younger alternative at the convention. Look up Lawrence O'Donnell's read from the other night. He has some thoughts on that. And of course, two wars. One of those wars is going to be front and center tomorrow in Michigan where he is staring down a push for a protest vote in the state's primary, led by critics of his handling of the war between Israel and Hamas. There is a movement of progressive Democrats across the state who are planning to cast their ballot for uncommitted, to basically send a message. Now, right now where we're sitting, it is impossible to know at this point how big this uncommitted vote will actually be. It could turn into a thing. It could also not turn into a thing. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you is a symptom of what may be a larger challenge for the president in a general election over a war that is very difficult for him to end or solve on his own. And on that point, I should note that the president did say late today that he's hoping to have a ceasefire agreement by next Monday. So, yes, he's dealing with big challenges that come with the job, lots of them. And that could have an impact in this primary tomorrow and beyond. But now let's contrast that with what we are seeing in Trump world right now, shall we? I mean... Donald Trump is still in the midst of an active primary fight against Nikki Haley. Over the weekend, she got around 40 percent of the vote in the South Carolina Republican primary. That's not nothing. She is yet yet another data point that shows there is a real anti-Trump contingent here, a contingent that might just come back and bite him in the general election. And even though that 40 percent is not enough actually to win, of course, for now at least, Haley's sticking around like a pretty well-funded pit bull thorn in Trump's side. She's up on the airwaves in the Super Tuesday states. She's still hitting him on the campaign trail with attack lines that will probably find themselves, I bet you, into more than one Biden campaign ad this fall. And she's clearly very much on Donald Trump's mind and very much under his skin. Otherwise, he wouldn't be punching down so much during some some speeches and in a lot of his unhinged truth social posts. But let's not forget... Trump is not only facing Nikki Haley on the campaign trail, he is also facing the likes of Jack Smith and Letitia James and Alvin Bragg in court. Just today alone, seriously, 
I'm just talking about the last few hours. Trump filed a last-ditch appeal of the nearly half-a-billion-dollar judgment in the New York, New York civil fraud case against him. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg asked the judge for a gag order on Trump in his criminal hush money case. And special counsel Jack Smith blasted Trump in a filing on the classified documents case. We will talk about all of that as well. But that is some seriously weighty legal baggage. And it's only going to get worse. Oh, also... Trump's got some money problems as well, serious ones, separate and apart from the massive civil fraud fines he's facing. CNBC actually reported today that there has been about a 63 percent drop in small dollar Trump donations over the past four years. That's quite a drop. And Biden has a big edge over Trump in cash on hand, ending January with $56 million in comparison with Trump's $30 million cash on hand. Oh, and Trump is now trying to overhaul the RNC and install his daughter-in-law as the co-chair to help pay for his legal bills. I can't make it up. So for all of the hand-wringing about President Biden and his challenges, and everybody should be clear-eyed about those too, there's absolutely no question that Donald Trump is carrying a lot more and a lot heavier baggage. And Democrats can't lose sight of calling that out. Starting us off tonight is Democratic strategist James Carville back again. Great to see you here. Okay, let me just start where I ended there because... You know, both candidates, no candidate's perfect, as you and I both know. We've both been in politics for a while. But I would argue that there is a lot more baggage that Trump is carrying around than Biden. How do Democrats make that clear? Well, first, first of all, you're correct. Secondly, the macro story in current politics is Democrats don't lose elections anymore. We haven't lost an election in the last year and a half. And we have an advantage right now, and we need to pummel him right now. And I used to have a saying on the Rand campaigns, the more you pummel them, the more they plummet. And we got to jump on this abortion issue. we got to jump on this book burning issue, run ads to these Nazi hags at school board meetings trying to ban Rosa Parks, run all of the things, all the intrusive policies. A majority of the House Republicans want to codify the insane ruling out of the Alabama Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Almost 90% of them voted against protecting women's right to contraception. Can you believe we're arguing about contraception in 2024, where you have almost 90% of the House Republicans voting that way? Get on them. You got a financial advantage. You have a political advantage. Jump in and just start just start kicking them and hitting them and anything that you can do, because push this advantage as hard as you can get it. That, that's what I think we ought to do. We ought to be nope. really, really aggressive. No question. And this abortion issue is such an important one. I mean, the IVF, because as you and I both know, we follow this very closely. Trump is trying to reinvent himself. I mean, his campaign literally pitched stories over the course of the last week that they were going to try to make this a more policy focused discussion. I don't buy that. We haven't seen that. But he's also trying to invent himself, reinvent himself as an IVF warrior. Uh, out there, right? As somebody who is a defender of it, even though he named three of the justices. So you're saying pummel them. What do people, I mean, people need to take this right. seriously. What do people need to be saying out there about Trump's role and his position on abortion? He is the father of the Dobbs decision. Okay. Put, plain and simple. All three of the Supreme Court nominees voted to take away a 50-year right. Everything that's coming in there is a result of his actions. He don't know whether to wind his behind or scratch his watch right now. I say, well, I don't know, maybe it's 16 weeks. I, I got to take credit for this. Just keep hitting them. 
just keep hitting you. Hit them on the contraception vote. Hit them, hit them on the Alabama decision and the vote to try to codify that. Don't we, and I, again, I come back, Jen, this book burning thing, people detest that. And mm-hmm. don't, don't let up. You got a financial advantage. You have a political advantage. Don't allow them to catch up with you. You take advantage when you have it. And we have it right now. We, we're, we're in a pretty good position as a, as a political party. It's hard to, for people to understand that, but we actually are. It, that, that ruling in Alabama mentioned Dobbs 15 times. If people need a, a factoid to throw out there to your neighbor, 15 times. So let me ask you about the legal well, cases. Because this is another area where, you know, it's easy to get mired in the legal intricacies. It's all very important. We talk about it a lot on this show and across MSNBC. But talk to me about the political case on the legal cases. What should people care about uh, who are out there thinking, oh, this is just a lot of legal mumbo jumbo? Right. First of all, I think in some extent we're too obsessed with the legal cases. We have plenty enough to go to post right now. All right. He's been adjudicated by a jury to be a rapist. How, how, how much more? What do you need? Much more than that? He's ordered to pay uh, half a billion dollars in fines for, for for business fraud. And and whether these cases come to fruition, or what the Supreme Court does, or what what they do on appeal, and and that kind of stuff, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But there are too many Democrats that are, oh, James, we gotta, we got to do something this legal thing if we're going to win. We're going to win right now. That's just land yap. That's a Louisiana word for something extra. we got to press the advantage that we're in and press it hard. And just one more point that you made that I completely agree with. This Gaza stuff, is, this is not just a problem with some snot-nosed Ivy League people. This is a problem all across the country. And I hope that the president and Blanken can get this thing calmed down, because if it don't get calmed down before the Democratic convention, it's going to be a very ugly time in Chicago. I promise you that. Yeah, no question. And it's important to be clear eyed in every campaign about where there there may be challenges. Now, as you're watching Michigan tomorrow, uh, there is this push um, to have people in the state fill in uncommitted to as a protest vote. It's very hard to measure when when to be super concerned about it, when it's a red flag in 2012. There were 20,000 people who wrote in uncommitted for Obama. What is the bar where you're going to think, oh, my gosh, this is a huge problem? Well, already, no matter what happens, I know it's a huge problem. And the uncommitted will do fairly well. Now, Trump got 60 percent in South Carolina Republican primary. And we had idiots in the press saying that he ran away with it. Well, mm-hmm. Eugene McCarthy got 40 percent in New Hampshire and, it, and ran Lyndon Johnson out of the race. So if the uncommitted gets 40 percent, that's going to be a, a not particularly positive sign. But we yeah. already know you and I know this is a problem in the party. We don't. Yeah. And I'm, I think the president knows that really knows that is being told that. And they got they're going to have to tell B.B. Netanyahu, hey, dude, you're not we're not going to lose our election because you scared to go to jail. You got to think of something else because this, this, the negligence of this man was breathtaking. And why are we over there begging him? We ought to be putting pressure on him every way that you can to, to I, I, de-escalate this thing and quickly. 
I think the challenge is Bibi Netanyahu does not care and probably doesn't want Joe Biden to be reelected. So that is a challenge. But it's important to be clear eyed that this is generationally, it's not just uh, Arab Americans, it's young people. People have strong feelings about what is happening over in Israel and Gaza. Let me ask you, because you just mentioned it too, and we're going to talk to Alyssa Slotkin about this a little later too. But Trump is running through, you just mentioned this, what happened in South Carolina. When you look at that data, the 40% that Haley won. Some of those people are going to be Biden voters. What did you take away from that data? Is it a big problem for Trump, a medium problem, protest votes? Okay, well, it's a closed primary. So there can't be that many. You have to be a Republican to vote in a South Carolina primary. I promise you, there's not a lot of pro-Biden South Carolina Republicans. But I was open in New Hampshire. Uh, Haley and DeSantis got 40 between them. In the Iowa caucuses, which is the most rarefied Republican attitude you can have, Trump only got 51. There are serious doubts about Donald Trump with a more than just a tiny part of the Republican Party. And we got, again, I, I keep coming back to it. I'm a broken record, but I'm going to be. We have an advantage. We have a political advantage and we have a financial advantage. And we have to seize it right, right now and just put these people away. And we can do it. We can do it. The abortion stuff, the birth control stuff, the book burning, people hate that. Mm-hmm. And we got to remind them where, who, who's on what side. I never knew a Democrat that ever wanted to burn a book in my life. No, no. And you know what? Most Republicans don't want to do away with IVF either. The majority of people don't. All right, James Carville, I have more questions for you. Stick in your comfy chair there. You look comfortable. We're going to sneak in a very, very 60-second break, but we'll be right back. Hey, pet parents. Are you searching for the perfect place for your dog to play? Check out Camp Bow Wow. Our safe and supervised doggy daycare and boarding ensures your pup gets the socialization they crave while giving you peace of mind. With our certified staff and clean and spacious facilities, your dog will have a blast making friends and staying active. Join the Camp Bow Wow Pack today. Your first day is free. Visit us at CampBowWow.com. Franchise opportunities available. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, we're back with Democratic strategist named Carville, who never holds back. I love that. Let's talk about money because you need money to run a campaign. But I have to start with Lord Trump because Trump is president, former, you know, that guy, four times indicted guy, is trying to install his daughter-in-law as the co-chair of the RNC. I'm not suggesting this is a winning campaign message, but I just need you to put into perspective for everybody how crazy that is. Suppose that, that Biden appointed his granddaughter to be head of the DNC and instructed her to funnel all of the money to Hunter Biden's defense fund. You think yeah. these people want to be stolen from? That, 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 that's the long and short of it. The people that give Trump money or the RNC money are begging to be stolen from. And Trump is going to accommodate them. They're very blunt and very upfront about what they're doing. So and if people want to give Trump money, then go ahead and give it to him. But I know there are a lot of Republicans, friends of mine from my days in Washington, who think that Trump is siphoning off all of the money from the congressional candidates, the Senate candidates, the gubernatorial candidates. And you know yeah. something? They're right. I don't. Yes. Please put Laura Trump over there. Please steal every dollar you can get 
Every one of these Republican state parties, Michigan, Arizona, all over the country, all falling apart, fighting with each other, underfunded. We have the advantage, Jen. Press, 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 press. Now, that's my there's, that's my measure. Financial advantage and political advantage. There's literally no one running the Michigan Republican Party right now, we should just note, um, because it's so messed up. And he is giving away that money. Now, the small donor—I mentioned this earlier. Uh, CNBC reported today that there is a 63 percent drop from small donors. As you and I both know, right. that's pretty much how candidates raise money now. There's still big donor contributions. But Trump, to hit, that's a pretty big drop. I mean, is that— What's your level of concern, not concern for them, but how concerned should they be, I guess, about that drop? Well, it, so, so he's off, what, two, small donors off of two-thirds? Did I, did I hear that right? He's yeah. losing consistently 40% of the vote in the primaries. He is weak. He is weak. And we have to, to not have this exaggerated view, and we have to take advantage of his weakness. We have to make it weaker. And that uh, what it means, I'm not entirely certain, but it don't mean anything good. What does it mean when you, you, your opponents are getting 40 percent in your own primary when you're a former president? It doesn't mean anything good. I can promise you. Uh, I've let other people figure out how bad it is, but it, it's not good. He's in a world of political hurt, not to mention the legal hurt. But I, I think we, we spend too much time hoping for legal things and not enough driving home where we are. No, lots of things to talk about. So let me ask you about immigration, because this is one of the issues that pops in a lot of polls. Um, there was obviously a, a deal that fell apart. The Republicans are to blame for it. That's a really hard thing, in my view, to translate and explain to the public. And you see in polls, both parties are equally blamed. So the president is going to the border this week. They're talking. There's reports about executive actions and, or, and executive orders. What do you think in terms of immigration, they should be doing? Is this an issue that concerns you in terms of an issue that could be problematic for the president in November? Well, first of all, they negotiated a bill. And everybody, and Senator Langford, who's a very conservative guy, I know him, he's a real, he went to like a graduate from like a, he's a Baptist minister. And a lot of the, the senators were all on board. And then Trump told Mike Johnson that, uh, I don't know what he is, and and they killed it. So, A, we have a really good answer. I was in, my wife and I were in El Paso uh, not very long ago, a few days ago, and, man, they're working, you know, night and day to try, people trying to get along and trying yeah. to accommodate this and, and bring some prosperity there to the border. So, uh, I mean, I hope the president goes, but before we didn't have a very good answer. Now we have an excellent answer. We, we, we tried. We put something on the table. We put, we negotiated with you. We did you know have have your own board enforcement? Would you want it? And then you let Trump run over Mike Johnson, and we hear all we got to do is bring this back. And we we got many things in place that can work. That many people on the border, I noticed that they're ready to roll their sleeves up and go to work and make this thing work on on both sides of that border. I really believe that. Lots, uh, lots of straight talk. Lots of hope for some people. Thank you for that. It's never sugarcoating. James Carville, thank you so much for right. joining me tonight and giving we, us some we political have wisdom. Real hope. We're winning. We're winning, girl. We're winning. Okay. <laughs> Better thank us you. than them. That's what I took away from your conversation. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, coming up, he's not the first prosecutor to do it, but Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is trying to do to be proactive. He's now seeking a limited gag order to bar Donald Trump from talking about witnesses and court staff ahead of his criminal trial next month. 
If I had to guess, I'd say, and I know, Preparar probably has a few thoughts about all this. The former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York joins me after a very quick break. We'll be right back. Donald Trump's criminal trial is set to begin in exactly one month. And today, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg took the all-too-familiar step, unfortunately, at this point in our lives, of asking a judge to implement a gag order against Trump. As a reminder, Trump faces 34 counts of falsifying business records in an effort to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. And that, of course, includes the payoff intended to silence an adult film star Stormy Daniels. Now, in the filing, D.A. Bragg explains that Trump, quote, has a longstanding and perhaps singular history of using social media, speeches, rallies, and other public statements to attack individuals that he considers to be adversaries, including courts, judges, various law enforcement officials, and other public officials, and even individual jurors in other matters. He goes on to note that when, quote, when Trump has publicly attacked individuals, they are consequently threatened and harassed. Of course, Trump has already broadcast personal attacks against the district attorney and prospective witnesses in this case, and Bragg reveals that those statements resulted in credible threats of violence, harassment, and intimidation, including death threats against the DA and terroristic mailings. So with the first criminal trial of a former president fast approaching, Bragg wants Trump to be barred from attacking witnesses, counsel, court staff, the district attorney staff, family members of staff, and jurors, and for good reason. Because if history is a guide, that exactly is what Trump would do. Pri Barrara is the former United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, and he joins me now. So, Pri, you are very familiar with uh, all of the laws in New York. So let me ask you, you read through this gag order, you took a look at it. What stuck out to you when you went through it? So what sticks out to me is something you made reference to in your intro. Uh, so many times on this show and other programs, in the commentary, and in the analysis with respect to things relating to Donald Trump and his legal trials and tribulations, we say things like, this is unprecedented, um, this is a case of first impression, we've never seen this before, but now there's so many cases pending against Donald Trump, both civil and criminal, in multiple jurisdictions across the country, that certain things are coming up, and they're not unprecedented anymore. As you pointed out, this is not the first time that uh, a government entity, uh, a prosecutor or a civil enforcer, has sought to impose a narrow gag order on Donald Trump. And there's mm -hmm. a playbook here. You know, Alvin Bragg and his team are basically um, conforming to what has been done before. Um, in a civil case in New York, and in a criminal case, the one that's pending with respect to January 6th in D.C., there was a gag order that he's largely tracking, and he's relying on the fact that not only did the district court, the trial court in D.C., um, mm -hmm. uphold the idea of a narrow gag order, but that was affirmed by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is essentially the second highest court in the land. So what's interesting is we are causing precedents to be made that other prosecutors and other civil enforcers can rely upon because Donald Trump is in so much trouble in so many places in this country. And he's and he himself is attacking people in the legal system. So let me ask you, because we're all trying to understand and try to cover these cases effectively. He was indicted uh, in April of last year. We're about a month from this trial. What do you make of the timing of this gag order request? Is it the right timing, too early, too slow? <clears throat> well, <laughs> better late than never. Um, one could make the argument that, that maybe the DA's office waited a little bit too long. 
Um, nothing concentrates the mind like a deadline when you finally have a trial date. And as you said, jury selection is scheduled to begin in just one month. But, the, you know, the January 6th trial uh, case that's pending in D.C. was filed after this Manhattan DA case, and they sought the narrow gag order um, some time ago. So, you know, Donald Trump is being, you know, asked uh, through the court by this motion to not attack witnesses, but he's had a field day attacking a number of witnesses, including somebody who's going to be a, a chief and key witness in the Manhattan DA's case, um, his former lawyer, Michael Cohen. So, mm -hmm. you know, one could make the argument that it, it took a little bit too long for this. The other thing that stuck out to me, not a lawyer, is that obviously D.A. Bragg has received a, a great, a huge number of threats himself. I mean, in, in the exhibits, while it doesn't name names, it's, it seems clear who they're talking about. He's not included in this. So Trump could still, if I read this correctly, Trump could still attack yeah. him, correct? Yeah, and it seems, it seems odd, right? You know, why be allowed to attack the head of some office or the judge in one of the other cases, but not the court personnel or not the junior people or the trial team. And I, I think the principle is a little bit, um, you know, Trump does have some First Amendment rights. He's allowed to defend himself to some extent in the court of public opinion. And if you're Merrick Garland or you're Alvin Bragg um, or you're the judge in a case who's been appointed um, in, the federal, in the federal system by uh, a president, then you have to have a thick skin and you have to suck it up and you have to be able to take it. But Alvin Bragg is trying to be very protective of, and the other judges in the mm -hmm. other jurisdictions are trying to be very protective of their courtroom staff. And the yeah. one way in which the, the Manhattan DA's case goes a little bit further is to be protective of the jurors in the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, because in New York, which you're very familiar with, of course, the laws there, the defendant is typically entitled to information about prospective and sworn jurors, which is different from federal cases. But in this in this filing, uh, Bragg has asked to limit Trump's access to that information, not completely, but limit it more than it normally would be, which seems perfectly reasonable. Is it is this is there precedent for this? What do you think in the likelihood of this being granted, I guess? Hard to predict a judge, but I'm still asking you. It's unusual. I mean, we had another case in which a judge said to the jurors who deliberated in a case against Donald Trump, um, although it's your right to talk to the press after the case is over. Uh, my suggestion to you is you never tell anybody uh, ever that you served on this jury. Yeah. Because as Alvin Bragg points out and other people have pointed out in motions made to the court and, and elsewhere, <clears throat> Donald Trump has a history and tradition, uh, to borrow a phrase from the Supreme Court in a different context, he has a history and tradition of, of um, causing attacks on people who sit in judgment of him or who try to criticize him in any way. Mm -hmm. And remember, our system relies on there being, you know, ordinary citizens, um, peers of the accused to sit on juries um, in order for justice to be done, justice to be administered fairly and properly and justly. And the more you allow somebody, a defendant, no matter who he or she is, up to and including a former president of the United States, to cause a, um, you know, a, a wave of attack and, uh, and, and, and violent, you know, suggestions of violence or, or otherwise against members of the jury or the court staff or anyone else who's involved in the system, the more you undermine the rule of law. So it's unusual, um, it's infrequent, but there's some track record here of Donald Trump attacking members, not only of the court staff, but also jurors. So I think there's a good argument that it's warranted. Quite a track record. Let me ask you something that's been a bit of like a pet focus of mine. So it's not just legal, it's messaging too, because this is often shorthanded, which I purposely didn't do in my intro, as the hush money case. 
because it involves payoffs to a porn star. It's maybe edgier, right? But it's really about Trump's fraudulent efforts to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. How should we be viewing this case? And if you're, you know, in D.A. Bragg's office or others who are working with him, do you really want it to be discussed in a more serious manner rather than a hush money case? Yeah, I think you do. I mean, there are multiple audiences here. There's the the general public, uh, which is largely probably made up its mind. If you're pro-Trump, you're against these charges. If you're anti-Trump, you are in favor of these charges. But a jury, you know, you see again and again and again, um, has to be able to believe that the government has proven its case beyond a reasonable doubt with respect to the elements of the crime and why he did it or the reasons or the motive or the significance of it is not really required as a legal matter to be proven and certainly not beyond a reasonable doubt. But jurors are human beings and they understand um, you know, how the world works and they want to understand why people did what they did. Mm-hmm. And they want to believe, generally speaking, particularly when you have a high stakes defendant like this, someone who's famous and was formerly powerful, um, that it's a serious matter. And you know, it's probably a good strategy generally and within the court if you don't overplay it and you don't overdo it, Right? You don't want to take a small case and make it sound like the case of the century because it's, it's, it's not the most serious of the four <clears throat> criminal cases pending against him in the country right now. But I think you do want to make it clear that this is not a small thing, that it's not just about hush money payments, but the purpose and the motive behind the actions taken by Donald Trump that are under scrutiny at this trial were about winning the 2016 election and about subverting um, the vote. So I think it's, it's, if done properly and proportionally, it's probably smart. Pre Barrera, thank you so much for joining me. I know you already Thanks, taught a sir. class today, so I really appreciate you making the time. And coming up, the star witness of the sham Republican impeachment inquiry is back in court as the warning signs about Russian interference in the next election are flashing bright red. But first, what is going to happen in tomorrow's primary in Michigan? We've talked about it a little bit, but I'm going to ask Congresswoman Alyssa Slack. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. And when we come back. We're following what could be a major development in the Israel-Hamas war. President Biden said tonight that he hopes to see a ceasefire by next week, saying a deal, quote, is close but not done yet. So we'll watch that closely. But as we've been discussing, there's a bit of a split among Democrats over the president's policy toward Israel's war in Gaza. And the Michigan primary tomorrow is the first electoral test of just how that big big that split is. The president's main rival in Michigan is a campaign to vote uncommitted. In a New York Times op-ed, Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud, a Democrat, described why he will be casting a protest vote for uncommitted, saying, quote, 
My greatest fear is that Mr. Biden will not be remembered as the president who saved American democracy in 2020, but rather as the president who sacrificed it for Benjamin Netanyahu in 2024. Now, at the same time, the state's very popular Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, is urging voters to stick with the president. As a state that is fortunate to have robust Jewish population and Arab and Palestinian and Muslim populations, um, this has been a really hard time for a lot of people in our state. And um, I think that, you know, it's been really important to have those conversations and to stay engaged. I know that the president believes that as well. Um, I'm encouraging people to cast an affirmative vote for President Biden because a second Trump term uh, would would ha- carry huge consequences. Joining me now is Democratic Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, who knows very well from her background how hard and complex these issues are, but she also knows Michigan politics well. She's now a candidate for U.S. Senate. So I want to start, Congresswoman, I'm so, I'm so grateful you could join me tonight. And I want to start by reading a quote from this New York Times profile of Governor Whitmer. It's from a Dearborn voter who said, quote, I told Gretchen when she was here, if you want to come as Gretchen Whitmer and talk to us anytime, you're welcome. But now if you're going to come into lobby for Biden, we're going to have to shut the door. We're not going to be able to even talk about that. I'm asking you this because I think it's important for people to be aware what voters are thinking and saying. And you're running for Senate. You've been around the state. Is that something that you're also experiencing? Well, I I don't think you can overstate just how emotional and, and just upset people are. Um, Arab Americans, Muslim Americans, Jewish Americans, and and we live together, we go to school together, we work together. So it's very personal here in Michigan. Um, and so I've definitely experienced that level of emotion um, constantly, I would say, constantly. And I think, look, the 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 most, you know, that we can all do is just keep the lines of communication open and say, look, like, we may not have agreement on every single thing, but we are all Michiganders and we want to keep that bridge there. Um, and I think you're, you're just seeing that play out in our politics. But the emotion is is deeply real. It's, it's deeply emotional. And we're certainly seeing that, as you said, when you're talking to voters and you're talking to people out there in Michigan, what are you telling them about? We just played Governor Whitmer. What are you telling them about whether they should vote uncommitted rather than vote for President Biden? Well, look, I mean, they have the right to express themselves um, and we're going to see what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't really have a strong sense of numbers or how that's going to work tomorrow exactly. But um, for me, like I'm just focused on making sure Donald Trump is not the next president of the United States. And so tomorrow is a primary. Let that primary conversation happen. But, man, um, uh, I don't know what our democracy looks like if Trump is elected for a second term. And that, to me, has to be the ultimate thing that we're working towards. So um, tomorrow is is one step in that conversation. But to me, it's about November. So does that mean you think that people should vote for the for President Biden over uncommitted tomorrow? I, I mean, I, I'm voting for President Biden. I, I think that's the again, that's the the November competition that I'm talking about. It's there couldn't be a bigger difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Um, but again, I, I respect people's right to express themselves. People have told me why they are voting that way. Um, and so you, you don't you can't deny people's emotions about this issue. But again, like I am the prize and that is November. So I, I support Joe Biden because Donald Trump should not be our president again. 
It's not that far away, November. Let me ask you just about Russia. I mean, you know so much. You've talked about this, about the threats, which we very much have to take seriously. I'll be talking about this later in the show. But as we're watching this, it seems clear they're attempting to intervene in our election again. Not a surprise. They've often done this before. We learned last week that the key witness to the Republican impeachment effort claims he was funneling lies from Russian intel officials. Unfortunately, as you well know, a number of your Republican colleagues fell for this, winning or unwitting. We don't know. How concerned are you that they are susceptible to manipulation by a foreign power? You know, I, I just I never thought I'd be having this conversation, but I, I do think um, the the willingness of some of my peers to believe Russian propaganda, either about the war between Russia and Ukraine or about what's going on here in the United States. And, and we know Russia has a longstanding strategy of trying to split Americans apart, divide us so that we're not focused on them. I mean, it's a longstanding Cold War policy. Um, and I, I, I fear that a lot of my peers are really vulnerable to it. Mm. And it reinforces their kind of isolationist feelings right now that we shouldn't be engaged abroad. We shouldn't be pushing back on Putin. And they kind of like drink it in. Um, and it's just deeply disturbing. And I, I think you're you're seeing the result in that we cannot get an up or down vote on Ukraine assistance in the U.S. Congress. We have not been able, even though it would pass right now with flying colors, it will not be brought to the floor. And I, I just I think that people have lost their way. Ronald Reagan must be rolling over in his grave mm -hmm. um, at watching this Republican Party. Um, peace through strength was his whole thing. Um, and it's just a, it's very, very sad to see that people are willing to believe anything as long as it reinforces their view. And it's, it's just it's very, very scary. John McCain, too. It's really amazing. You've seen the evolution of the Republican Party. You lived through it as a national security official. It's very shocking. So important to talk about. I know you have lots of strong feelings and emotions on abortion IVF, as I do. But we're gonna, you're going to have to have come back and talk about that. And unfortunately, we're going to be talking about that for months as well. Congresswoman Alyssa Slatkin, thank you so much for joining me, taking the time tonight. And coming up, here was the headline today from NBC News. Russia's 2024 election interference has already begun. Of course it has, but Republicans don't seem to care. And their star witness, who is being fed information by Russian spies, was back in court today. We're back after a quick break. Today in Los Angeles, a federal judge ordered Alexander Smirnov, the indicted former FBI informant who was once the GOP star impeachment witness, what a sentence, to be jailed pending trial on the concerns that he might flee the country. Smirnov was arrested earlier this month on charges that he repeatedly fed false claims to his FBI handlers, including about President Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. Now, some of those lies, Smirnov himself admitted, were funneled straight from the Kremlin. Of course they were. And prosecutors now warn that Smirnov is actively peddling new lies that could impact U.S. elections after meeting with Russian intelligence officials in November. So if you are James Comer, Jim Jordan, Chuck Grassley, or there are many other Republicans who push Smirnov's claims, this is all incredibly embarrassing, considering you're like, you've likely been pushing Russian disinformation for months. But what is more embarrassing and frankly more frightening is that they were warned. Republicans went all in on Smirnoff's claims, despite the fact that they were told repeatedly by the FBI that the information Smirnoff was providing was completely uncorroborated. They were warned, and they still went on national television to say things like this. House Oversight Chairman James Comer says he and his colleagues plan to drop a bombshell. 
it's going to be judgment day tomorrow for the White House. You have the confidential FBI informant who's basically saying that Joe Biden took $5 million from Burisma. The informant was a you know highly valued human source for the FBI. A trusted, highly credible informant. A trusted, confidential informant. They had a a credible source, one of their good sources. This is a very crucial piece of our investigation. So knowing what we know now about Alexander Smirnov, there is the obvious question. Were those Republicans just useful idiots who got duped? Were they just careless with unverified information? Or did they willingly push false Russian propaganda just because it would hurt a political rival and benefit themselves? It's one of those things. Either way, it's pretty clear that Republicans are being used to launder disinformation from a foreign adversary, as I was just discussing with Congressman Slotkin. And that's a very big deal, because Russia's efforts to interfere in the next election have already begun. According to NBC News reporting just out today, the Russians are using fake online accounts and bots to damage President Joe Biden and his fellow Democrats. The reporting reveals that it's part of a continuing effort by Moscow to undercut American military aid to Ukraine and U.S. support for and solidarity with NATO. I mean, think about that for a second. Damaging President Biden, undercutting support for Ukraine and solidarity with NATO— What that reporting makes crystal clear is that Republican goals and Russian goals are more aligned than ever. What the Alexander Smirnov episode makes clear is that Republicans are very easy targets, and that is a very dangerous combination. Clearly, Vladimir Putin will not have to try nearly as hard this time around, and he has much more to gain. As one expert put it, quote, not that they didn't have an incentive to interfere in the last two presidential elections, But I would say that the incentive to interfere is heightened right now. Look, I was in the White House in 2016 when we were warned that the Russians were intent on interfering in the election. But what we underestimated, and by we, I mean some people on the national security team at the time, was the impact of disinformation through a range of channels. Social media, those who repeated it, efforts that we now know influence the outcome. They have every intention of doing exactly that again this time with a much bigger potential assist from the Republican Party. I have one more thing to share with you before I hand things over to Rachel Maddow. It has to do with the young women standing up and speaking out about Donald Trump. I spoke with one of them yesterday, and I've been thinking about one of the things she told me. I'll show you that after a quick break. Letitia James, Fonnie Willis, E. Jean Carroll, Roberta Kaplan, Right now, there are an awful lot of women rising up to hold Donald Trump accountable. I spoke with one of them yesterday. Sarah Matthews was deputy White House press secretary during the Trump administration. She resigned in the aftermath of the January 6th insurrection. And then, like her friend Cassidy Hutchinson, testified before the House January 6th committee. Here, part of our conversation that really stuck with me. I think speaking out against a former U.S. president can be a very isolating and scary feeling, but it definitely gives me a lot of strength to know that I have these women um, by my side to get through this together. And I'm hopeful that more Republicans will come. Anyone on on your mind? I I don't know. I think that it's obviously we look around and it's mainly the women and especially young women who are speaking out. And so I'm 
I would just encourage maybe the men who are twice my age, who held way higher positions of power than me, who also know that Donald Trump is unfit to serve, to speak out. And I know that we've got some time uh, before Election Day, but I'm hoping that as we get closer and they see the threat that Donald Trump is and the very real chance that he could be president again, that they will come forward. Mainly the women. Now, she's not even 30 years old. But she didn't name names of former members of Trump, the Trump administration who haven't spoken out nearly enough about the danger he poses. But there are a few people who we could certainly hear more from in this moment. Some understand the threat of Trump, but will still vote for him. I'm looking at you, Bill Barr. Some have sporadically spoken out, but we could still stand to hear more from. John Kelly, I'm looking at you. And some likely saw a lot and have been fairly quiet, like, say, H.R. McMaster. Mike Pence, I know you kind of sort of spoke up during the campaign, but the, he sent a mob to hang you. Maybe we could hear a little bit more about that, how it all went down, what you saw. The burden of speaking up and speaking out should not have to rest on the shoulders of these young women. But I sure am glad that they are willing. That does it for me tonight. You can catch the show every Sunday at 12 p.m. and Monday at 8 p.m. on MSNBC. And don't forget to follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For now, goodbye from Washington, and we'll see you next week. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.